0: Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. I am back in Bangkok from a little bit of a foray into Singapore, and I'm back recording at True Digital Park. Today, I am joined by Rob Zapeda, the CEO of Playbasis, and frankly, a guy I've known now for quite some time. Rob, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Michael. Thanks for having me back on the show.
0: Are you back in Bangkok now? Because I know you you were away for a little bit as well,
1: right? Yes. So this is the first week back in Bangkok after a week in uh, Jakarta last week. Uh, So we were participating in a startup event uh, accelerator program called uh, Plug and Play Indonesia. So it's a a Silicon Valley based um, kind of global fund and accelerator that has programs all across uh, the world, really. And uh, we were part of batch five for Indonesia. Okay.
0: before we get into that, I want to back up a little bit and just talk about five years ago. Okay. When, when we first met, Playbasis, you're the CEO and the founder as well, right, it was a gamification company that endeavored to, and I'm quoting here, and I'll tell you where the quote comes from in a second, but it really endeavored to help large companies increase user engagement, retention, and loyalty through data-driven game mechanics and behavioral triggers. And if you're asking where I'm quoting that from, I actually went back to your 2014 investor deck to get that because I wanted to make sure that I actually had it right I didn't want to make it up if that's how you described it back in 2014 how would you
1: describe it today yeah that's that's really interesting I actually don't remember that quote but it sounds like something I would write (laughs) it's actually very very similar to, to to what we how we describe ourselves today I think Five years ago, the term gamification—you had to sell it more. You had to—the concept required a lot more selling, a lot more education in the market. And um, now, because of the prevalence of gaming and because of, you know, just um, the explosion of, of gaming content, whether it's whether it's streaming, esports, uh, you know, mobile gaming, it's now much more of an accepted thing, and it requires much less selling. So what we do is now we say that we provide basically a, a, a games-as-a-service cloud platform where we can also um, – a new, a new component that we're introducing into, into, the, into the business is uh, the element of rewards. So connecting brands with gamers through meaningful rewards. Uh, so that that's kind of how we we would, would describe today, kind of a cloud-based gamification platform, games as a service platform, uh, where we can also manage rewards for for enterprises. Sounds cool.
0: Okay. Now I wanted to move forward and talk about your recent participation, as you mentioned, in Plug in Play's Batch Five in Indonesia. It's an interesting thing for you to do at this stage in the development of your company, right? Because you've been at Playbases for a while now. Why was this something you felt like you needed to do
1: or wanted to do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first of all, Indonesia is a is a very fascinating market. It's home to several unicorns. It's the size. It's got enough population that it can have domestic unicorns. But some of these unicorns are actually going regional, and so they are um, expanding into into these markets. And we're seeing some of the techniques and trends and 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 um, some of their product innovation and. Um, I have to say, I've been very, very impressed. So I, I, prior to this, I didn't really have much exposure to the market. Interesting. But getting involved in this program, I, had, I went there for four months, uh, basically about a few days every every a month. And I had a chance to meet with corporates, meet with venture capitalists, uh, meet with other startups. And it's it's an amazing market. It's, re- it's really, really amazing. And the other thing about it is that Although yes, you're right. Playbasis has been around, and we um, we are established as a as a startup in the region. Um, st- still, not everyone knows about us, and uh, especially in the Indonesian context. And on top of that, I think you're constantly reinventing yourself as a technology business every year. There, there's no two years that are the same. So it's always nice to be able to come out and say like, okay, here's what we're doing like right now. Here's the latest of what we've got. Right. Here's the latest case studies. So you know, it's it's it, it was very valuable for us, and uh, it led to great traction in the market. I mean, it's definitely an area that we're going to be focused on in the future.
0: Right. So one of the things that I like to joke about is it takes most companies about seven years to become an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you talk about the unicorns in Indonesia, I presume you mean Tokopedia, Bukalapak, Gojek, Traveloka. I believe is a billion-dollar company as well, right?
1: Traveloka. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's right.
0: So, was there a specific program track? Like, how does how does plug and
1: play work? Was there a specific program track in which you participated? They divided into different uh, kind of uh, groups. So, there's the domestic startups, international startups, and then they they have kind of problem statements around um, themes. So, fintech is one of the themes, and another one was uh, enterprise 2.0. Uh, so, um, in in in, the, in our case, we were uh, part of the enterprise 2.0 cohort, and we were focused on um, developing solutions for employee engagement. So that that's actually a, a growing market and a growing demand for our services is engaging employees. So prior to that, we had really focused on fintech. We made a lot of great traction, continue right. to make great traction with banks and financial institutions. But increasingly, we're getting large corporates. They could be, you know, uh, industrial corporations they could be in the energy sector uh, just they have large scale operations tons of employees they need technology to engage these employees and that's where gamification can come and help
0: right so there's some gigantic corporates in Indonesia as well that we haven't mentioned separate from the startup unicorns one that comes to mind is Sinarmas, an interesting company also because they run what is it called SMDV if I remember correctly that's right. So they're playing this from both sides, right? They could be a corporate customer, they could be an investor, they could also connect you to other startups. Did you have a chance to talk to them at all?
1: I did, yes. So Sinermas is one of the large conglomerate groups there in the Indonesian market, but there's actually a number of these um, diversified holding companies that have all kinds of different business operations and uh, they are, these companies are increasingly investing in digital. They may be involved in some kind of legacy industry, whether it's tobacco or you know something like a re- related to agriculture. M- mining, got this, right? mining, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. So that's, uh, that's a that's potential customer for us as well. So they've got all this cash flow, and they're looking to diversify. They're looking at the future, and so you have these. I wouldn't call them unicorns because they're not really. Um, but they have this ad budget of a unicorn, right? So you've got all these new homegrown digital you know, mobile-first apps. I think Ticket.com is now, like, it looks like a unicorn, but it's owned by one of the conglomerates. Yeah. I love it.
0: So, so this is a big theme. I don't want to get too far off track from Playbases, but this is a big theme that I'm seeing. It almost feels like what we used to call incumbent companies, right, or even dinosaurs are now catching up to the fact that hey, we don't have to sit here and be out-innovated by three gals in a garage. Right. We can do this thing. So it's interesting to see what they're doing. I wanted to get back to this idea of employee engagement. Why is that so important to these big corporates? We can talk customer engagement I get, right, because that leads directly to the bottom line. If I can retain and engage my customers, they'll pay me more money. I'll have more profits. But what's the employee engagement angle?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a whole there's a whole host of different drivers that are um, pulling on play basis to gamify the employee engagement space. It could be things um, from performance management. It could be things around sales. It could be things around compliance and training. Right. So you imagine you're working in a mining co- you know for a mining company. There's all kinds of safety checks and kind of routine behavior that needs to be. Um, done on a daily basis or you know on a weekly basis, and sometimes that monotonous work can kind of get boring and things can get glossed over. And so where where you can sort of gamify, quantify, and hold and draw some statistics analysis around these act- activities, um, that can make people a little bit more uh, aware of what they're doing, the goals, and it get people to kind of work together towards accomplishing tasks. So there's all there's and, and at the same time, you know employees are also consumers so the product expectation that they would have you know if i'm used to using traveloca tokopedia shopee and so forth i'm used to a very engaging you know rich user experience and then when i'm now using an app for my work you know an internal focus app and if that doesn't have the same level of uh, user experience and engagement, it's gonna lead to very low adoption. You know, and, and even if it's required, you know, through your work to use the application, it's still it's gonna lead to low adoption and, and, and ultimately it won't be a success. So I think companies now at this point know they need to invest in apps. This is an area where they are willing to invest. But beyond that, they need to ensure that the app is actually going to be used, that it's engaging, that it's sticky, that there's the adoption. And I think as a general trend, I think gaming, gaming technology, play, I think this is a core driver and will continue to be a core driver for the use and adoption of technologies. I think you know, gaming as a trend is not going anywhere. The amount of time we spend playing games every day, every week, I think will only increase I think work will will increasingly look like games. I think training will be done through games and simulations. I just think that the, the future is very, very bright for gamification as a whole. So yeah, we're very excited.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned compliance, right? So when I was working at Goldman Sachs, we used to have to do these dreadfully boring compliance training sort of online things, and they were just terrible. And most people kind of waited until the last day to do it because they just could not get themselves motivated to do it. But if it had been gamified a little bit, like do this and get an extra vacation whatever it is, right? Or get some kind of reward or get a free cup of coffee at Starbucks kind of thing. I think people would have done it a lot faster. But again, you're right. That experience, even back then, this is like 10 or so years ago, the internal internet experience was terrible, even though the external internet experience was evolving. And back then I used the internet, right? Because it was all done in a browser. But you're right. If the app you're using internally is terrible, And it doesn't mirror kind of the UI and UX sort of focused design you see on your regular apps. You're just never going to enjoy doing it. It's a great idea.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you mentioned like using technology as part of work. I think there's also another layer for kind of performance, you know, scorecards, you know, kind of tracking how well am I doing in the organization? Am I meeting my goals? Am I, you know, am I performing well? Uh, what's, the next, what's the next step that I need to do? What's, what's the actual set of steps that I need to do to get a bonus, to get a promotion? And so games are really good at kind of like motivating users and breaking things up into achievable tasks. And so when it comes to things like a broader term like compensation, I think gamification could have a very real role in uh, determining things like that in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always used to say, how come I only get an evaluation like once a quarter, and in most cases it was once a year? Like, I would have done that thing. Someone had just told me that that was the thing of value because it was ambiguous. But if it had been gamified, I would have known because the game itself would have encouraged me or even forced me to do it.
1: That's right, yeah, that's right. So that's very important when you're designing games is people want to know what are the rules? How do we keep score? How do I win? Right. And as long as that's all fair and transparent, then people can determine their own strategies and techniques and how they want to play. But there needs to be sort of a common framework, a transparent framework, a set of rules that everyone kind of agrees to. So that's I think that's what games do really well. And now increasingly, corporations and, and enterprises want to adopt some of this thinking to make it very clear and explicit. Because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do – is align incentives. And we don't want to just make people motivated only by money. We want them to, you know, so games do a really good job of getting you into a flow state. And once you're in the flow state, time kind of disappears. So you can be doing tasks. And, you know, maybe part of the fun is just making my job easier. I don't have to get paid paid more money, but my job is now easier and more enjoyable. And that's worth it to me.
0: Yeah, flow state is actually a really interesting term. You could spend a time, we could do a whole podcast on what that means as well. Let's go back to plug and play a little bit. I've never been through one of these accelerator programs, right? And there are a bunch of them out there, whether it's Antler or whoever. A lot of people try to do this, right? How does this program actually work? And then what's the mechanism for being selected? In other words, you can't just rock up to the program and say, I'm here. And have them accept you. So h- how do you get in? And then once you get in, what are they actually doing during that four-month period of time when you're there?
1: Yeah, great question. So we've been in, we've we've done a number of these, in fact. And for B two B enterprise um, companies in particular, I find them very very uh, useful. Probably much more so than if I was just a consumer product, because a B two because they bring in the stakeholders. They bring in. Typically, these events are co-funded or sponsored by a group of corporates. And these corporates are going to get a guaranteed face time or looks at products or technology through the course of the program. And these corporate sponsors are also going to develop a number of business challenges or business problems. So what are the things in my business that I would like a startup to potentially try to solve? Right. In some cases, the, the term gamification is already something that the client is looking for. So that was the case for um, this batch. There was, a, there was a large corporate who was specifically looking to gamify employee engagement. And as part of that, a plug-and-play team actually reached out to Playbasis and encouraged us to apply. We applied. Uh, we sent through a pitch deck. We did sort of like a, there's a selection day uh, where a bunch of startups come and pitch. And then the top number of them get uh, moved on to the next process to be formally included in in part of the program. And at the end of it, you know, there's a demo day. And that's where, you know, it's a very big production, all these very, very VIPs come and and, um, get a chance to see like, you know, the demo day pitches, that was that was great for us, because we ended up getting a chance to meet with company, you know, with with new corporates that we didn't meet during the course of the program, who happened to come during the demo day, and you know, and also a bunch of VCs very interested in in, in the company as well. So overall, very very positive for us. Um, highly recommended.
0: Right. So this is the other interesting thing for me. Pick any corporate you want. I'm just going to pick a Thai one, right? PTT. You can pick um, Cinemas if you want. But if you just knocked on their door and said, you know, my name is Rob and I'm the CEO of, you know, play We do gamification. You may never get a meeting. You may, but you may, you may not. Right. But if you're participating in the plug and play program and you're part of some batch of theirs, the only corporates that are going to be there, they weren't dragged there sk- kicking and screaming. They went there because they really wanted to meet you and other people like you. So their level of, for lack of a better term, engagement is already defined. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's there committed. for a
0: reason, yeah. And they've com- and they've, they've come committed. How, like, how, well, how does that commitment work, though?
1: What does that mean? So there's a funding component, I think that that is that is involved. So these, so the, the corporate sponsors for the program, you know, uh, plug and play, uh, pitches their their solution. Basically, they're saying we can do an accelerator in a box, and uh, here's what we can, you know, here's the results, here are the pilots, here's the following funding, and so forth. That that comes through uh, doing one of these. So we would just require you to make a commitment of whatever X number of dollars, and as part of that, you get oh, the meetings, you get the the business challenges, you get you know you get exposure, and you get to be a a marquee name on the on the event. So these corporates are actually they're financially committed to it as well.
0: So how many other participants were there in your track, and then the overall batch five?
1: I think there was around, uh, in total, I think there was around uh, 20 final startups, you know, and about half of those were international and half of those were um, local domestic startups in uh, Indonesia. And I think there were 10 focused on fintech and 10 focused on the Enterprise 2.0. Yeah. And what is Demo Day like? Demo Day is like it's like a show, it's like an event. <laughs> there's no other way to put it. I mean, there was even a comedian on stage, you know, during uh, parts of it. Uh they have a host, it's all recorded, televised and so forth. It's streamed all over every TV in the, in the auditorium. It's basically it's it's like a show. It's just uh, you know, four there's 5-minute pitches back to back to back, basically. Yeah.
0: But what does that mean? So you get a five-minute pitch, which means you stand up and you talk about play basis. How many people were in the audience the day you did your demo day?
1: Oh, I mean, I, it's got to be you know, at least a uh, 100 or 200 folks in there. Yeah. So it was, it was an auditorium. It was like a theater. So you're literally on a stage, and like I'd never seen my pitch deck uh, scaled so large. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and your, your pitch deck is very – what's the right word? Colorful
1: colorful yes exactly
0: very because the old pitch decks were very sort of black and purple focused if i remember correctly but this one was just startling (laughs) to me
1: yes (laughs) so yeah that's part of it right that's using some of the visual aesthetics to kind of get capture people's attention and get them interested but yeah you're right It, it is very it is very much a visual deck and so you have a five minute pitch and you know you just basically have to rehearse it and get it down now the thing about these sometimes i have a i have a I have a hard time with these pitch days, these demo days, because it depends on what stage the startup's at. But, you know, a lot of times you get these you get these founders who who say, "Okay, we are growing this much. We're growing 30 percent week over week or, you know, whatever metric they're looking for, you know, whatever metric they can use to show that they're they're high growth. And, And I understand that because like in the very early days, you know, as a startup, you know, you're looking for growth. Anywhere you, you can find it, because very likely you're pre-meaningful revenue, so you can't use revenue as your growth metric. So you're right. saying, okay, we've got signups, we've got users, or whatever it is. So they look for the largest number or the biggest aggregate metric they can find, you know. And th- but if those top of the funnel metrics aren't so impressive for whatever reason, like they don't have a bunch, of, they don't have a million downloads or whatever. Then they get into kind of more, you know, they look at review scores or click-through rates, some sort of coefficient, some percentage to show that, you know, the number itself isn't large, but it's high, you know, it's performing well, it's converting well. And so I I always kind of chuckle when I see these, like, especially Y Combinator demo days, and they just, they extrapolate this business model out over a number of years. And the reality is, like, Nothing ever goes in a straight line or in, a, you know, in an exponential curve the way you plan it. I can tell you I've been running Playbasis now. This is my sixth financial year, complete financial year running the company. Right. No two years have ever been the same,
0: never. Rob, you may know this, but we had somebody come in to Ardent Capital years ago to pitch a fashion e-commerce company. And they were like, we've been at this for only three months, and in the first three months, you know, we've done this, and we projected in year four, we'll be selling a billion dollars worth of goods. And I just remember Adrian and T and I just looked at each other, and we were like, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just not going to happen.
1: It's not it's going gonna to happen. happen. I mean, very likely it's not going to happen, and very likely whatever happened last year is not really going to happen again this year. I mean – you can use a football analogy, you know, the NFL probably, except for maybe New England Patriots, no, no uh, team in the NFL is very likely to repeat their success from the previous year. I mean, every year the coaches say, it's a new team, it's a new season, it's, everyone starts zero, zero and zero at the beginning of the season. And that's how I it is. is
0: I yeah. think that's one of the best things about Belichick is that, and again, I'm a Patriots fan, so you know, excoriate me. if I mean, kill me if you want to for this. But one of the (laughs) things he says is last year doesn't matter. The only Super Bowl we care about is the next one. And I think the other perfect example of this in reverse is the Atlanta Falcons, who, you know, were leading a game 28-3 to and lost, and they haven't actually won anything since then. It almost like it completely traumatized them. But even with the same players, what, what it does mean, though, is that we used to say this in the financial world all the time.
1: Past performance does not guarantee future performance at all. That's exactly right. And even if you, even if you manage to raise funds on this story and you say, okay, I've got two or three or four quarters of data and I'm extrapolating that out. And now I've got, I've got enough funds to, you know, to operate for the next, let's say three years or whatever. Hmm. And even if you set your funding, you know, your, your expense plan in stone and you, and you didn't deviate from it at all, there's still no way you can predict all of the dynamics that will come into play in the market. I mean, you, you know, you've got to be – I say I say, you have to be smart enough to learn. That, that's, what, that's what I think is really important as a founder. You have to be smart enough to learn. You can't go into it thinking that you know everything about it. You've got to have the humility to say, okay, there's a lot that I don't know. I'm going to try to learn as quickly as possible and constantly innovate, constantly learn because technology – Changes over time. If you're in a technology business, you're a tech startup. By definition, technology changes because that's just what it is. So necessarily the business model has to change over time. You have to be thinking about that. You know, as technology changes, costs go down. So as costs go down, customers will either expect you expect you to lower your prices, or if you want to protect that revenue, you have to now include new services or new features. To, to, to continue to capture that same amount of wallet share. So sure. those days of lock-in with like, uh, you know, Oracle, IBM, SAP, those days are over. When you're in a SaaS business, you are constantly trying to get that next month's subscription. You're trying to retain your customers.
0: There are just so many things you can't control. Again, if nothing else, because technology and the development of technology just becomes cheaper and cheaper over time, whether it's the back-end servers or the front-end UX design or anything in between, it just means that someone could out-innovate you. And because it's SaaS, depending on how deeply integrated it is into somebody else's sort of legacy systems, if they even have them, it just means that somebody could come in and just eliminate you, and you didn't even know that they were there. So you have to almost always pretend that there's some competitor nipping at your heels and saying, how much better can I make my service? You notice I didn't say how much more functionality can I add because you can have functionality overload. Right. But but you understand the point. So you mentioned learning, right? This was something else that's really curious to me. You went through this program. You said you've been through a bunch of them. What did you learn specifically from this plug
1: and play and what did you get out of it? What did I learn specifically? I think, mm, I think for me, I, what I learned mostly was about the opportunity that exists within Indonesia. Got it. So we, we learned about all of the second-tier cities, the third-tier cities. We learned about what it takes to incorporate, you know, what are the different uh, tax schemes and sort of incorporation uh, benefits that are available to international startups. We learned the importance of localization. And you know, I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. They look at Southeast Asia as just this block, but it's real. really it's not. It's not. And Localization is absolutely really critical. And I think the other thing that really impressed me was the amount of, the amount of uh, energy that these corporates are investing in transforming themselves digitally. Right. I think it's actually, they're more aggressive than I can say probably a lot of the Thai corporates here as well. Much more aggressive. Interesting. Very interesting. So
0: did you do, I want to go back to the demo day just because I find that fascinating. Did you actually get up on stage and do the presentation yourself? I did. Yes, I did. And there are a hundred and something or maybe 200 people in the audience. I mean, you've been doing this for a while, but like, how did it go? What does it feel like to do that?
1: It felt great. You know, I'm always kind of nervous doing it, but at the same time, I've been running this company for the last six years and you know, I kind of know it quite well. I was one of the few CEOs actually. A lot of the a lot of the international startups had sent maybe a, a marketing guy or a regional B D guy or something. I was one of the few CEOs. So I guess that was that kind of stood out. And also I think A lot of people don't really know what to expect when they see the presentation, but because gaming is so mass, I mean, everyone can relate to it in some aspect. You get a lot of people who want to come and talk to you about this because they just hadn't really considered it before for their business. And then they see the case studies and they go, oh, wow, I didn't even realize that, you know, you could apply this to the telecom business, to credit cards, to to banking and so forth. So you get a lot of people coming up to you. So, yeah, I was able to just kind of, I mean, selfishly, I feel like you could gamify anything or any company. So I always love it when companies come up to me, you know, they could be a pharmaceutical company. say, so, okay, how can I gamify our business? Life insurance company, what can we do with gamification? You know, you mentioned mining company. How can we, how can we incorporate gamification? And the thing is, it's like, for me, gamification is like a technology. It's a, it's a, it's a technique and a technology that can have real impact on your business And what the important thing that we've been able to do is build a business model around that. So it's one thing to just build the technology, right? Anyone can just build a bunch of game engines or game mechanics, but the tech part is easier. I think what's what's really hard, probably far more difficult is the actual business model itself. So how do you actually charge for this? What's the value that you're helping capture and what percentage of that are you going to extract as cash flow to your business? And, you know, if you're working in a business where you don't have lots of established competitors, you don't have just pricing sheets you can just copy from, you have to develop that yourself. And that's something that Playbasis has had to do every year. Seems like we've, we've introduced a new business model every single year. And part of that is just because of hindsight. We were able to figure out, okay, here's what happens when this happens to, you know, we get this much traffic. Here's what we, here's what we need to do from a cost perspective. Or, oh, after the case study, we could see that we drove, you know, this 25% increase in revenue. So what, what could our rightful, you know, commission rate be on that? Right. So just, just, just figuring out the business model is, is really the hardest part of it all.
0: So one of the things we used to talk about in the stock market, right, between liquid stocks and illiquid stocks is something we call price discovery. right? Yeah. I know where Toyota trades because it trades, you know, $400 million or a billion dollars a day. But I don't know where yep. some much smaller stock trades because it hasn't traded in two months. So even the last price is completely irrelevant. Right. And that's kind of where you're talking about. That price discovery is actually really cool. I wanted to point out one of the statistics that was in your presentation. He said there are 2.4 billion, if I remembered it correctly, active global gamers. Now think about this. They're only, only is the wrong word, but there's approximately, let's say, three and a half billion people connected to the internet. Yeah, now, Nobody's using the online as a proxy, right? But that means that 68% of them, almost 68 and a half percent of them
1: are gamers. Yeah, that's think about, right. Think about I mean, it that way. That's huge. The majority of the apps downloaded every year on the App Store are actually gaming apps. I mean, uh, you know, it it has its own category in the App Store precisely for that reason. And on top of that, you're increasingly seeing non-gaming companies expand into offering gaming as a form of media. So you're getting games now embedded within Shopee, Lazada, the two largest e-commerce marketplaces, with their own, you know, custom-branded games inside. Snap and uh, Facebook are also launching games within their own app ecosystem. And the reason for that is because, you know, this gaming activity, you know, that can account for, let's say, 20% of time online, time spent online. Yeah. So these companies are looking, how do I increase the time spent in my app by 10, 15, 20%? Can I capture some of that, some of that time spent on the, on the gaming side through, uh, you know, within my app and the vast majority of games are free to play, but they um, monetize the gamers themselves. There's a new emerging model where the games are totally free to play. The players don't have to pay anything, and and by through the virtue of their engagement, by by engaging with the game, they are actually getting rewarded. Whether that's you know because they're they're using games through work or they're actually using games within marketplaces, they're earning points, they're earning discounts, and so forth. So it's changing the the business models for what it means you know, to be a game developer or a game publisher. There's new models now to monetize gamers. And I think it was very interesting how in the Southeast Asia Digital Economy Report published by Tomasek and um, Google uh, just, you know, just released a, a month or so ago, you know, they, it was, we finally have enough data to, to actually show the correlation between when you drive engagement even if it's in the non-gaming application, you increase monetiz- monetization. Yeah, more opportunities awesome. to, spe- to, to sell, more opportunities to cross-sell, to upsell, and that's ultimately what you want to do. If you're building a, sh- a store and people walk in and immediately turn around and walk out, that's not good. No. You want them to spend as much time as possible in that store because you can, you can calculate for every minute they spend, there's a chance that they'll spend you know, uh, money. How did you do on demo day? I think, I think we did really well. So it wasn't a contest. It was just sort of like a pitch day. But, you know, we had a number of VCs approached us who, I, I can say right now, uh, we are going to be kicking off our next round of fundraising. And there's a lot of interest right now, I think, from the uh, in, Indonesian VC community, who frankly, we'd never been exposed to prior to this. So we, I, I had no contacts uh, within the VC community of Indonesia, but through the, through the plug-and-play event. I was able to meet uh, a lot of both corporate venture capitalists as well as, you know, the traditional venture capitalists as well. Good stuff. So let me ask you one final question.
0: How can I be the first gamified podcast network? <laughs> you're laughing, You're laughing, but I've been thinking about this the whole time we're on the podcast. What if I did this at the beginning? And this is simple stuff, right? Ten minutes in, there's going to be a question. And at the end of the podcast, there's going to be an answer. And the first person to do that, you know, Send back the answer in some measurable
1: form wins an iPad or some kind of prize, right? Yeah, I mean, getting the fan engagement is, I think, a part of that, right? So, you know, whether you're doing it live um, or you're doing it pre recorded. Having an element of fan engagement where you're getting feedback, you can say, okay, let's just do a quick poll. How many of you guys have ever heard of this company? Or in the next five years, which do you think is more likely to occur? Or what do you think the, you know, the, the market cap for this company will be in the next ten years? You could do the polls, you could do the questionnaires, the quizzes. I mean, you could do uh, all kinds of stuff uh, with it. So we'll, we'll talk more about that offline.
0: Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Okay. Is there anything else about plug and play that
1: you wanted to mention? It feels like it was a really positive experience for you. Very positive, already in advanced negotiations with our first anchor client in, in, in Indonesia, so um, very excited about it. Okay, Rob, I really want to thank you for doing this. This was awesome
0: and easy to do. I mean, I just looked at the time. It's like, whoa, I didn't realize that much time had passed already. I have more, but let's let's stop now.
1: Thank you, Michael.